Good evening. My name is Adam Kendall. I'm an alcoholic. About 45 minutes, correct? Perfect. Thank you. Josh and, and to the Grace Group, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of Alcoholics Anonymous. I appreciate the opportunity to see uh, some new faces and some, some old faces. Jacob, it's good to see you. Uh, Tony, I, I, uh, my brother, I appreciate you coming. There's a, there's a lot to say and, and I've got a lot of opinions and ideas, but I'm going to start with something from the big book since we're <clears throat> at a meeting named after the big book. So bear with me. We're going to read some more of that Testament stuff. Page 316. I'm convinced if I had continued on my course, I wouldn't have survived much longer. I don't believe I was smarter than anyone else, as I'm often told by those who came in at a later age. It was my time, my chance to live, and I took it. If there had still been joy in my drinking or even a remote chance of the joy returning, I would not have stopped drinking when I did. No one drank as I did. No one who drank as I did wakes up on the edge of the abyss one morning and says, Things look pretty scary. I think I'd better stop drinking before I fall in. I was convinced I could go as far as I wanted and then climb back out when it wasn't fun anymore. What happened was I found myself at the bottom of the canyon thinking I'd never see the sun again. AA didn't pull me out of that hole. It did give me the tools to construct a ladder with 12 steps. Sobriety is nothing like I thought it would be. At first, it was one big emotional roller coaster full of sharp highs and deep lows. My emotions were new, untested, and I wasn't entirely certain I wanted to deal with them. I cried when I should have been laughing. I laughed when I should have cried. Events I thought were the end of the world turned out to be gifts. It was all very confusing. Slowly, things began to even out. As I began to take the steps of recovery, my role in the pitiful condition of my life became clear. If asked what the two most important things in recovery are, I would have to say willingness and action. I was willing to believe that AA was telling me the truth. I wanted to believe it was true in a way I cannot relate in words. I wanted this thing to work. Then I began to take the course of action prescribed. Following the principles laid out in the big book has not always been comfortable, nor will I claim perfection. I have yet to find a place in the big book that says, now you have completed the steps, have a nice life. The program is a plan for a lifetime of daily living. There have been occasions when the temptation to slack off has one. I view each of these as learning opportunities. When I am willing to do the right thing, I am rewarded with an inner peace no amount of liquor could ever provide. When I am unwilling to do the right thing, I become restless, irritable, and discontent. It is always my choice. Through the 12 steps, I have been granted the gift of choice. I am no longer at the mercy of a disease that tells me the only answer is to drink. If willingness is the key to unlock the gates of hell, it is action that opens those doors so that we may walk freely among the living. <clears throat> if, uh, if you didn't hear that, if it didn't make sense, my encouragement to you would be to uh, reread that. Those paragraphs are a very clear and succinct summary of what a lot of my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous has been like. I just want to start 
by saying I'm, I'm extremely grateful to be a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. It, it might sound crazy to somebody who's new. It might sound crazy to somebody who doesn't understand, but my life is, is flawless today. My life is, is perfect. It doesn't mean that everything is as I deem or as I see fit, but my life is, is truly splendid today. And that is a direct byproduct of good sponsorship inside of Alcoholics Anonymous, good mentorship through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and the practice as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous being implemented in my life. I get this amazing opportunity when I, when I participate in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a perfect example of anything. And what I'll tell you is I've made a ton of mistakes, drunk and sober. And without AA, I, I could not imagine where my life would be. I would, I would not want to think of what my life would have turned out to be like. <clears throat> so, um, I come from a loving family. I come from a very disciplined and structured background. Both my parents were in the service. I got the opportunity as a young child to move around the world quite a bit. I met people of different cultures. I met, um, people of different varieties and, and I got to see and do a lot of things that are not typical or common for young people. Now I call it an opportunity in hindsight, but in the moment it, it was not, it didn't feel positive or uplifting or, or, you know, monumentally instructional or instructive because of the fact that like I get to do things that aren't, that are common. But looking back, I see that that's what it was <clears throat> in the midst of moving around a lot and growing and developing as a young child, I, I would often feel very uncomfortable. Now, mind you, in those moments, real time, I wasn't conscious of, of what it is I was experiencing. It's through a lot of inventory and a lot of uh, conscientious time travel. That's what one of the things my sponsor says, you're gonna be a conscientious time traveler. You're, gonna, you're gonna, going to mindfully look back in retrospect at your experience. And, you know, I would come to find that from the very earliest age, I was very uncomfortable. You know, the first sponsor that I had, he would ask me questions like, <clears throat> so you moved around a lot, right? And I was like, yeah. And he would say things like, how often? And I would tell him, you know, six months, nine months, a year, 18 months at the longest, you know, and this was, it was like this for the first 15 years of, of my life. And he would ask me very simple questions like, how did that make you feel? And I'm just roll my eyes. I'm like, you know, I was always the new kid. And he would press me. He'd be like, no, that's not what I asked you. How did that make you feel? And in that moment, I got the, the introduction to, um, an introduction into communication, right? He would ask me a specific question and I would never answer the question, right? I have this hard time with listening. And he was patient. And I would tell him I, I, I just, I never felt right. I didn't fit in. All these kids knew where to go and knew how to do and knew how to be. And I, I day late and a dollar short comes to mind. 
And then he'd be like, okay, interesting. And he would start to point out things in the big book, like restlessness, irritability, and discontentment. And I, I, with the degree of education that I had, I, I knew what those words meant, but he helped me see how they specifically relate to my life. And he would talk about boredom, frustration, irritation, you know, chronically unsatisfiable. He would, he would utilize other language so that I could find a deeper connection with the literature. And he, and, and he essentially paraphrased it into, so you always felt like the new kid everywhere you went. And I was like, yes, that's it. You know, always, you know, apart from less than not equal to, right. You hear these, these slogans pretty frequently inside of the rooms. And he said, did you like that feeling? And I said, no. And, and I'm super grateful for that time that he took in explaining the literature and helping me see myself in this book that was written before my parents were born, before my grandparents were born. Super grateful for that. He would continue to listen to my stories and I would tell him about the fact that, you know, <clears throat> I was a starting basketball player, straight A student, and, you know, always looking, always looking for success in whatever form I could find it in. And, and Strangely enough, again, looking back, I'd get the position on the on the team and it would feel good for a minute. I would get the straight A, it would feel good for a minute. I would I would get the pretty girlfriend and it would feel good for a minute or I would get the nice car and it would feel good for a minute. Or I'd get the nice clothes and it would feel good for a minute. And again and again and again, I would find myself still seeking, still seeking, not quite fulfilled, didn't quite meet the mark, just not enough. Now. Mind you, these are fairly common experiences, and and that does not directly detail the fact that I am alcoholic. I will talk more about the, the constitutive elements of what an alcoholic is to my experience. But what I can tell you is, is that is a clear indication of something that ought to be concerning. It's the constant search outside of oneself for something to feel better internally. I'm 12 years old. Okay. And I need a drink really badly, really badly because I've got alcoholism. I'm not quite aware of it. I don't know what alcoholism means. You know, you hear in AA, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I caught alcoholism. And if you understand what that means, that's, that's my experience as well. I didn't know what I was really dealing with until I came to AA. I'm 12 years old. I need a drink. These kids there in high school, I'm, I just got into eighth grade. They know me from intramural sports and they say hey we we know you just moved here once you uh we, we saw you're on the basketball team once you come drink with us now both my parents being in the service very disciplined um you know very militant i i didn't know anything about you know alcohol and all of its cousins and i couldn't have told you what it meant to drink that didn't make any sense to me but <clears throat> in that moment something happened in that moment before i even drank a sense of fellowship grew up around me in that very brief moment. And it's something that basketball had afforded me. It's something that being on the honor roll had afforded me. It's something that, you know, being popular within a peer group had, had afforded me. It was a sense of fellowship. It was a sense of connection. It was a sense of, of unity, right? Hey, why don't you come and do as we do and you can feel as we look to feel. And that was a powerful moment for me. And I would encourage y'all to think or consider at least 
Is that not what AA does as its fellowship at its core? Hey, won't you come hang out with us at this meeting? Hey, won't you come get a donut and some coffee? Hey, won't you come to dinner after the meeting? Hey, won't you get in the car? We're going to go to another meeting. You can come hang out with us. You can come do what we do. And I, in that moment, at 12 years old, I felt a sense of fellowship, not knowing exactly what it was. And they said, hey, come drink with me. And I said, yes, internally, unbeknownst to me, I said, yes, absolutely. Sign me up twice. Whatever you guys are doing, I'm all about it because I want to feel that sense of connection. <sighs> so what we did was, <clears throat> as we start shotgunning Natty Ice on the jungle gym. Now, I don't know how people in Mississippi do it. I don't know how necessarily people anywhere do it. But if you know about Natty Ice or or Boone's Farm or Milwaukee Best or Steel, you know, Steel Reserve or Cobra or Mickey's or, you know, I don't I don't know what it is that's going to fit the bill for you in this scenario. But insert your preference here. Right. Cost effective, unpalatable. Pretty much the two elements I'm working with as far as Natty Ice is concerned. <clears throat> we start shotgunning this stuff on, on, a, on a jungle gym. And I'm 12 years old, they hand me one, I crack it. <clears throat> and I'm not shotgunning because I don't necessarily know how to do that. So I take a sip. <clears throat> and I remember it very clearly. We're, we're now at 50, uh, 25 years ago, essentially, 24 years ago. And I think to myself, I experienced this sense of confusion. Like, why, why would you drink this? Like, why did you hand me this? I thought we were going to be friends, you know? Why, why is this something that you would pay money for? Why is this something that you would shoulder tap an older person at a liquor store for? Why, why, why? It's foul. It doesn't taste good, right? And what I did then, like a lot of us do over the course of our careers, and, and even now in AA, we do the same thing. I match what I'm doing with what my peers are doing. There's a positive and a negative flip to that, right? I can do that in AA and I can find great result. And that's been a, that's been a massive tool for me. Match what my sponsor does. Match what my sponsee brothers do, right? I did that out there when it comes to, to drinking and, and using. So they continue to drink theirs. I match their feet with mine. I drink mine, I drink my first one, I get my second one, I crack it and I get about halfway down on that second Natty Ice. And this thing happens. And if you've been to any, any you know, amount of AA meetings, you probably heard about this thing. And if you haven't, let me detail my account of this thing that happens. <clears throat> one and a half cans of Natty Ice. And that is the best way I know to detail that experience. I can put a bunch of words on it, but I don't think it would truly convey what it meant to feel as if the burden of the world had been removed from me. Restlessness, irritability, discontentment, fear, anxiety, disconnection, loneliness, self-esteem issues, all of these things that whether are placed for me or I place for me in between you and I, melted away as if they'd never been there. You hear people in Alcoholics Anonymous talking about, I was taller, I was funnier, I was better looking, you know, I danced better, right? Social lubricant, you know, um, 
imbibing liquid courage. You hear things like this constantly, right? And that was my experience. I had a spiritual experience based upon drinking alcohol. Now, for some people that might be hard to swallow that phrase, having a spiritual experience predicated on drinking alcohol. But what it comes down to for me is that I had a revolutionary shift in the way that I felt. I had a fundamental change in the way that I related myself to you, you to me, and me to the world as a whole. My thoughts, my ideas, my motives, my, my core operating program just shifted just a little bit. And when you read our literature and you, you know, go to page 27, ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, were suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions began to dominate them. Page 27. That's what happened. Driven by fear, driven by <clears throat> ego, driven by all kinds of things. And it was just set aside for a moment. Right? And what I can tell you is that sigh of relief. I never, I've never forgotten that. I, I, I relive that moment in real time right now as I detail that for you currently. Like I recall that very, very well. That's 25 years ago. That must have been important for me to be able to speak to that and relive that sitting where I sit now. That must have been a big deal, right? A sigh of relief. Relief from what? I'm 12. I'm relatively affluent. I have all of the opportunity that could be afforded to somebody. I'm relatively successful. My parents tell me they love me. I'm given everything that I need and most of what I want, and I have no real problems. Yet I'm struggling and yearning for relief. And again, I ask you, from what? Again, you can, you can reference our literature and, you know, restlessness, irritability, and discontentment, the spiritual malady, the disconnection, the uh, uh, tense, you know, an overfilled balloon looking for a release, right? I remember very clearly, and, and what I can tell you is, is that, that sigh of relief, that momentary escapism, that that ever increasingly became a priority in my life. Now, our literature talks about a sense of ease and comfort, you know, at once from a few drinks, right? There's a couple of things in there that I think are really interesting to consider and I'll, I'll keep this relatively short on this part, but it's a sense of ease and comfort. And from what I understand and from what I've been taught, it's not real ease and comfort. It's a sense of it, right? I don't know about you guys, but I have been in bad places, feeling bad things around bad people in bad situations, right? And my life is on fire. I get my, my chosen brand, my chosen flavor of ice cream. It's all ice cream. It's just different flavors. I don't care what your preference is. I get my flavor and then everything is good again. Everything is good again. Right. The deep sigh of relief or, you know, I can escape the fact that she's on my back one more time or I can lose sight of the fact that I just got fired from one more job or 
or, you know, I'm going to get locked up again. And I can just escape that. Just, just, it, it is reality, but it, I don't want it to be my reality currently. Right. So everything's good again. And then the bottle runs out or the bag runs out and the effect wears off. And strangely enough, there I am looking at me and my life is on fire again. Right. It's a sense of ease and comfort. It's not real. It's fake. It's fleeting. It's fraudulent. And I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm given this process to find real ease and comfort. The other thing that I think is really interesting, and maybe you also have some of this experience, but like 5.55 a.m., five minutes before the liquor store opens, I'm already starting to feel better. I make a phone call and the guy answers and says, yes, come by. I have what you want. I'm already feeling better. That must tell me something to consider. It's not even about the chemical. And I would encourage you to, to think about if you have any of those experiences for yourself. Over the course of anything that I may say, my encouragement to you is that see where this matches up for you. <clears throat> and I was taught very, very early on that even though alcohol is problematic, it is not my problem. I don't have a drinking problem. I've got a spiritual unrest problem. I've got an issue with reality problem. I use drinking as a means to solve that problem. And eventually, it stops working. Eventually, it stops working in the way that it used to once work. Eventually, <clears throat> the consequences for seeking that solution outweigh the benefit of that solution. I'm not sure if you guys relate to that. I assume some do, but regardless, like I mentioned, searching and seeking for that sigh of relief, whether it comes from basketball or grades or girls or money or tattoos or prestige or property or alcohol in its myriad forms that became the utmost priority in my life right and it gradually you know incrementally moved towards as i mentioned alcohol and all of its cousins it became paramount to anything and everything i hear a lot of people describe and it's semantics, it's not a huge thing, but I think it's important to consider. I hear people talk about losing things because of their alcoholism. You know, I do not believe that there are any empty vessels. I believe we all have a sense of what is right and wrong. And what I can tell you is, is that I made choices and I would, I would give things away or I would push things away because they would often get in the way of what it is I needed to get so I can feel how I think I needed to feel. Relationships, give that away because she doesn't want me to do that thing anymore. Good grades, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push that away because the time is a little bit too much for me and I've got other things to do. Um, Self-respect and dignity. I'm going to give that away because it kind of gets in the way of me doing the things that will help perpetuate the lifestyle that will allow me to feel how I think I need to feel. I didn't lose anything over alcoholism. I made choices. 
Sometimes they were thoughtless choices. Oftentimes they were not. Oftentimes they were heavily considered and I still went the way contrary to my conscience. You know, I can tell you going contrary to my conscience has uh, proven to be harmful. It's been harmful to me and it's been harmful to my family. It's been harmful to the state of California. It's been harmful to um, any circumference of 10 feet with me at its center. I, uh, ethical and, and moral, moral convictions to, like I said, perpetuate this lifestyle. And I went to places that would have been unfathomable on its face. I did things that would, that you, one might presume were impossible for somebody that comes from my station in life. The, uh, the decline into the later stages of alcoholism for me ended up being um, very easily characterized by homelessness, and destitution, and incarceration. And uh, one of our, our forefathers talks about standing on the corner and the wind blowing right through him. When I, when I read that, I felt that. And that was, that was my experience at the end. The sense of impending doom. Have any of y'all ever experienced that? Knowing that at some point the other shoe must drop. That, that to me, is pretty indicative of the fact that I know I'm not living in the manner I ought to be. But that pull from alcohol and what it affords me, there's a saying about because of what alcohol does for me, I will allow it to do much, much more to me. And something to that effect. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the case for me. The one thing I really want to focus on just real quickly in that progression of alcoholism, we come to find what I believe and what I've taught, what I've been taught to be is the integral component of alcoholism. There's some people call it twofold, some people call it threefold, but of those two or three potential, whatever it is for you, the mentality of an alcoholic, the mental demeanor of an alcoholic, the propensity or predisposition for self-deception is the thing that, that really rings out loudly for me. Now, over the course of, of my drinking career, <clears throat> and even now, even now I can still do the same thing just with regards to different topics. If we talk about the great obsession to control and enjoy, let's just talk about the word obsession. The reoccurring thought or idea that does not respond to logic or reason or past evidence. So one more time, reoccurring thought or idea that does not respond to logic, reason, or past evidence. How is that applicable? What are you talking about, guy? So have any of you ever said to yourself, I'm not going to get drunk today, meant it truly, and then found yourself getting drunk? That's a big part of my story. <clears throat> How about I'm only going to get one, meant it, 
truly, and then found yourself having three or four. Big part of my story. Have any of you ever said to yourself, selves, it's going to be different this time, I swear. Meant it, and then found that it was not different, and that you had done the exact same thing. Huge part of my story. Have any of you ever said to yourselves, what's the use anyhow? Now, I try not to swear when I, when I, when I speak with Alcoholics Anonymous, but for the sake of <clears throat> clarity, have any of you ever said to yourselves, fuck it, acted as if you meant it, and then at the end of that, recognize that you did not? This one is a little more challenging for some people because when I say, what's the use anyhow, or when I say, screw it, it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is, is that I don't care. I'm gonna do this thing, I'm gonna experience the consequences, and I don't care. Yet, strangely enough, I do the thing, I get the consequences, and then I find myself being unwilling or unable to look myself in any reflective surface, and I, I can't stand the sight of my life, and I'm crying, I've hurt my mother again, I'm incarcerated again, I've put another vehicle, I pissed off my girlfriend again, I got kicked out of the house again, and I'm bawling my eyes out all by myself. What that tells me is that I do care. I care very deeply. Now, I'm not gonna get drunk today. I'm only gonna get one. It's gonna be different this time, I swear. Screw it. Reoccurring thought or idea that does not respond to logic or reason or past evidence. The obsession of the alcoholic, the ability to lie to oneself in one's own voice and believe it. I can tell you I've had many frightening moments going through the big going through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous with a sponsor. When you when you read a book with somebody and they start to point out you in that book and the books titled Alcoholics Anonymous, it can be frightening. When I'm when I'm shown the depth of a disease that I don't even know that I currently have and I really connect to it, it can be terrifying. The beauty of, of good sponsorship and, and diligent mentorship is the fact that they pair the problem with this opportunity to connect with the solution. I lie to me in my own voice and believe it, but I don't have to if I let you help me is essentially what I've come to know. Like I mentioned a couple minutes ago, I can do that sober. It does not just pertain to alcohol. I swear I'm going to do my taxes by April 15th. I swear. I promise I'm not going to be late to work again. I swear. I'm not going to have that piece of cake at the birthday meeting. I swear. I'm not going to cuss that person out in traffic again. I swear. Please seek out through your own experience and find where something like that might be applicable for you. If you say again, after something like that, more than once, you have uh, gone through something now three times. And there's a triangulation that happens, which is a form of verification. So, you know, if you, you find yourself in that spot, then then you and I might have the same thing. So self-deception, right? Is the 
the overarching thing I'm discussing. I will rationalize and I will justify and I will I will sell away pieces of my soul bit by bit and eventually I will find myself in the darkest, most depraved situations, whether that just be internally or whether it be both spiritually and physically. 9-15-10 is the day before I got sober this time, mind you. 9-15-10, like I mentioned, I was homeless and, and I was... Uh, there was I was bereft of meaning. My life was was empty and shallow and sad. And I had been fortunate enough to meet some people in Alcoholics Anonymous about a year prior to that. And <clears throat> I found myself on the doorstep of of one of their homes. And I knocked on their door and 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 they answered and and this this feeling came over me of safety and shame and guilt and those are hard to hold at the same time and you know i i i probably did the only thing that i could do and maybe the most important thing that any of us ought to do when it comes to uh, surviving Alcoholics Anonymous as I communicated honestly. I think that's the linchpin for all of this is honest, transparent, vulnerable communication. In that moment, knocking on their door, they open, they say, Hey, what's going on? And you know, the tears are already streaming down my face. I'm a big softy. And, and I tell them like, I'm going to get loaded again and I don't want to. I'm going to live contrary to my own will. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if any of you relate to that, but when you come to terms with the fact that you're doing something you don't want to do, even though you've repeatedly tried to not live that way anymore, it's a, that's a bitter pill. So they said, yeah, we know. Here's some socks and a toothbrush because you need them because you stink. And they helped me live. You know, they took me into their home and I, I, I detoxed on their couch. And they gave me clothing and food and shelter. And, and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous provided for somebody who would not provide a semblance of, of self-respect for himself. <clears throat> and I started back on this journey of recovery. And 9, 16, 10 is, is my sobriety date. I just recently got to double digits. And, and now I'm now, just now I'm starting to understand how much I don't understand. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for teachability and humility, even though it's been given to me through lots of pain. You know self-induced mind you not given to me by anybody but myself and my own ego what i can tell you is is my job here my job here tonight when i speak with you or when i share with people about alcoholics anonymous is not to detail 
fully and articulate intensively what it is the solution is because from what I gather, that's a lifelong process that is endlessly evolving and entirely personal to each and every individual as they begin the practice of implementing it into their life. I can talk to you about the 12 steps and I can share with you about the details of what they do and how they work for me. But my encouragement to you is, is listen to my account of the problem, the self-deception, the fact that once I put in, I lose control talk about, listen to me talk about the spiritual sense of unease or dis-ease and think about if you might have the same thing. If you believe that you and I, whomever you are, wherever you may be, if you believe that we share the same fundamental problem and I tell you that my life is <clears throat> massively transformed just by implementing the solution of Alcoholics Anonymous, you may be compelled to try that for yourself. You may be compelled to try that for yourself again if you have already done it, yet found your condition in life to be substandard to where you think it ought to be. There have been many times in sobriety where I had done the steps, yet had regressed from the practice of principles and found myself sad and alone and bereft of meaning. That's why they call it a pitch. Oh, you got a problem? I've had the same problem. Or I have this problem. Do you think you may have that same problem? Well, if you do, if you're doing the AA bobblehead thing or you're raising your hand in meetings and you're like laughing before you recognize all of the depth of what it is a person just said, that means you're relating, you know? And then you hear that person, this person describe that they fixed or came out from under with the solution of Alcoholics Anonymous, then you may be compelled to do the same thing. I cannot push you. All I can do is draw you, hopefully. My hope is that you seek out your own experience through Alcoholics Anonymous. I am not an expert on anything i am fairly certain that there are numerous ways to achieve a spiritual experience in such a way i can be forever transformed maybe there are ways that work for alcoholics that aren't alcoholics anonymous i don't know but what i do know is that when i input and participate in alcoholics anonymous there is a direct correlation in the quality of my life more AA, more better. That's how it works for me. I'm trying to achieve a spiritual experience without all the negative repercussions of all of alcohol and all of the negative ways we can live that can seem to cure that spiritual malady. The, the program of AA allows me this opportunity to, on a day-by-day -day basis, construct and develop and maintain a connection with that spiritual experience. And that is my solution. Some people call it God. Cool, if that works for you, great. It's not my business what you call your spiritual experience. You know, if it's, if it's a specific version of God, great. 
AA has no stipulations on what it is. A spiritual experience is, is uh, man, it's not mandated. What I'm looking for is what um, is described on page 27. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding force of my life, have been suddenly cast aside, and a completely new set of conceptions begin to dominate me and move me and help me be in the world in a harmonious manner with all of the other earthlings. So I want to end with, with this. I think it's good to bookend with the book. Just to paraphrase again, this is on page 100, the first full paragraph on 100. It's one of my favorite, favorite passages. So, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances. A new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances. To me, that speaks to the new and wonderful world inside of me, not necessarily the world that I'm sitting in. Doesn't matter who got voted in. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who, if I got the promotion at work, it doesn't matter, really. At the end of it all, my connection with my God, my creator, my conscience, my spiritual intuition, whatever you want to call it, my ability to follow the principles that we are all bound to, to some degree. That is the thing that would give me a new and wonderful world, regardless of how things look to appear to be. Day by day, path of spiritual progress. Follow the dictates, follow the principles, follow the ethics, follow the codes, the codes that have been written down over and over and over again in different words by different generations over and over and over again. See what happens. Or don't. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm super, super grateful to be sober. Stark raving sober. Appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you.